0: the grace, the peace, and the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us now in every second of our lives. Once again, it's a privilege to share the word of God with you, a privilege that also brings that cold in his spine that is very particular to this responsibility on this moment. My praise that the Almighty God bless us this morning. And I will add to post prayer that he can give you some patience. If, in my desire to share everything that is in my heart, I can take a few minutes more than usual from you this morning. Our current series of sermons is entitled "Postcard, Postcards from Exile," and focuses on the life, position, and attitude of those who claim to serve the Lord Jesus, to be his disciples, followers, apprentices, in a world that doesn't follow the same path, doesn't walk in the same direction at the values and principles of the kingdom of God, but rather it works hard to suppress these values and impose its own. Based on the book of Daniel and the narrative of how the people of God were taken into the captivity in Babylon, of how they were exiled in that place far from their own land, in this series we have sought to understand our role in these days, the days which in we live, in which we live. Each one of us, Church of the Lord Jesus People of God, in the midst of this culture, different from that which the Lord expects us to leave. In the last two Sundays, Alan brought us, in a brilliant, clear, and objective way, the aspects of this exile of the people of Judah. And with the same grace, he brought us a challenging and very complete comparison with our reality today. I face here the good risk of being repetitive in what the Lord has told us so far in a passage that most of you know so well. The people of Judah, the people of God, the people separated by God to be an instrument of his glory among the nations. They were delivered By the Lord Himself, to be taken into captivity, into exile, due to their disobedience and idolatry. Despite the various and constant warnings to change their lives and to turn back to God, they were taken to Babylon, which was the dominant empire at that time, in the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Yes, thank you, Becky. (laughs) <laughs> 600 B.C. Babylon, that was a reference to that or to what was opposed to the values and principles of the most high God, Yahweh, the God of the, the Judah people, the Jewish people. Reading in Daniel, just to remind us, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 say this, say this. in the treasure house of his God. Among those who were taken to Babylon were Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, young, flawless, good-looking, intelligent, and skillful. They were inserted into a training program to practically become Babylonians, not just to learn how to drink tea with milk, or to correctly pronounce the word, hun. do you know what is this? Wyndham. Oh, yes, I'm still learning. I'm still learning. No, it was much more serious, deeper, to change their lives completely. Their names that were references to God, to the God of Israel, were changed to names that exalted the Babylonian gods. The culture, the clothes, the values and principles, the gods. Everything was imposed on them in an attempt to replace everything they learned and lived since childhood. They decided not to accept in their lives those things which could alienate them from their God, from their Lord they decided to remain faithful to the Lord and not to become, to become contaminated with the delights of the king of Babylon. It's what is said in the text. And God blessed them. It's what we can hear, we can read in chapter 1, verse 9. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. God, God protected them. God gave them mercy before this official to not contaminate with the things of the king. And because of that, God also honored them with gifts. The verse 17 said, through these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding Of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Looking at that, we compared our own culture, our society, and the life around us in its various areas of influence in a world that has been for some time already post Christian not only in England or some countries, but the world we are living in. And the way we react, we react to it by being followers of Jesus, his disciples, his apprentices. In the way we are church, ecclesia, separated, taken out of the world, even though we continue to live in it. We saw some possibilities to react the first, total isolation. Creating our holy bubble, as Alan said. And not contaminating ourselves with the world in some ways, or in many ways. Some have tried this, but they have lost the aspect of the privilege of showing the Lord Jesus to those who do not yet know him. The second option to conform ourselves to the world, taking its form, accepting its values and normal as normal and correct, even if they are against the values of God and his kingdom. Or, as a third option, we learn from the Lord Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, who dwells in us, to be the influence, capable to or of transforming the world around us, able to impact lives with the values of the kingdom of God. This third option is our target here. It's our aim, aim. Maybe the challenge for us individually, each one of us. Maybe for NCBC as a family, as a church. But not many will live like this. Although the statistics bring a time when Christianity was majority and no longer, I believe that we always struggled with this nominalism and the mere cultural tradition within these numbers, being in fact, in the eyes of the Almighty God, always a minority. We can see this each day more and more easily. Therefore, we need to be that creative minority in God's hands to leave this minority with creativity in the word of God. A minority that shows with their standard of living who our God is, how much he loves us, and wants to take care of us. Last week, as we looked at the chapter 2 of the book of Daniel as well, that aspect of a life of prayer and worship jumped out to us, or at us, and mainly how it affects and impacts those around us as well, as it brings glory to the Most High God faced with a situation where Daniel and his friends once again had their lives at risk they turned they turned their hearts their attention their cry to the lord to god and not anything else they know where they will have the answer just to remember the king of babylon had a dream that greatly disturbed him. He did not know what it meant and did not remember the dream. He called all his magicians, sorcerers and enchanters to find out what the dream was and interpret it. And if they did not do that, they would all be killed. In the end of the history of that chapter or in the continuous of it, The wise men of the kingdom, of which Daniel and his friends were part of, entered in that list. The solution was not in the books. It was not in the knowledge, enchantments, or spells. The solution was in the Lord. Daniel, Ananias, Mishael, and Azariah turned to Almighty God and cry out for mercy. They pray and worship the Lord for his majesty. That was how they lived. That was their standard of living. Trust in the Lord. Dependence on his care. Certainty of his power. And practice of his will. In this way, what was impossible for man... God reveals to Daniel and he tells the king, Nebuchadnezzar, bringing glory and power to the God who is in heaven. The relationship of these men with the Lord gave them tranquility and certainty that that was the right answer, coming from above, from the God of their lives. Chapter 2, the verses 27 and 28, said, Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Faced with something wonderful and supernatural, the king recognizes the power of the God of Daniel and his friends. Once again, the faithful life of his servants brings recognition and glory to the eternal God. And also, blessings for those who were the instrument for this to happen. However, recognizing the power of God Recognizing that he works wonders and accomplishes impossible things does not mean having him as a Lord. Was this the case of nabuchodonosor Would this be the case for many who despite admitting that, admitting that the God of Daniel is the God of gods, king of kings, as we now read, is still do not surrender to the authority and power of the one who leads the story of his own creation. Could be this the case of many of us? He who takes care of us in love and expects us to love him without fear or distrust. The one who guides history, the almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, the God who sustains life through his love, the sovereign Lord over everything that exists and happens. Sovereignty on purpose. This is the first time I have used this word since we're beginning this time together. And it is exactly with this word that we come to the chapter 3 of the book of Daniel, of our walk with Daniel, sovereignty. Everything we have shared so far, all the verses we read, show us the sovereignty of God. It was God who gave the people of Judah, his people, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar to take them into exile. God took the people to the exile. It was God who granted Daniel and his friends mercy so that they would not eat of the king's things. It was God who gave knowledge, intelligence, and gifts to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. It was God who gave the king the dream. It was God who gave Daniel the interpretation. And yet, in verse 37 of chapter 2, it was God who gave Nebuchadnezzar kingdom, power, strength, and power. No other, but God gave him this position. I usually say that we only understand the sovereignty of God when we look back. When we look to the past, at what we have already lived there in the past and experienced with God, looking at the now, this moment, or looking to the future, it's a matter of faith. Not faith in my will, not faith in what I can do, not faith in my strength, but in the will of this sovereign God. I believe we have a wonderful example of this in the chapter 3 with our postcard from the fire. Time has passed, according to the experts, experts, about 19 years since chapter 2 and the event of the dream of the king. After a victory of the king of Syria, to celebrate his power and dominion, Nebuchadnezzar decided to build an image, and a statue made of gold, approximately 90 feet, nine zero feet height, and nine feet wide. It's a tall, it's a big image. This image was placed in an open field where it could be seen from a great distance to everyone who lived in that area. The king did not just want to celebrate his victory. He wanted to be exalted, recognized, adored by all who were under his reign, by his people, and by the people he had conquered, including the Jews. Maybe, just maybe, He had forgotten the dream, the dream that disturbed him so much a few years ago, or what Daniel had given him as an interpretation of his own rain falling. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe he remembered everything very, very well and wanted to prove exactly that the dream was wrong that God was wrong. The recognition of the power of God at that time was not enough to intimidate him in his quest and pursuit for power and exaltation. On the day of the dedication of the image, everyone was called to the ceremony and given the order. When the music plays, Everyone must bow and worship the image that the king raised. It was the order. A crowd was probably in that field. Both the people who were part of king's court and the people who lived in Babylon. Peoples, nations, and men of all languages. Everyone should fall down and worship the image whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So the music played. The sound echoed across the field and the crowd bowed before the statue. But it came to the king's ears that not everyone did that. I would like to read this part of our history. I'd like to ask Paul to help me with these verses and so we can go further. We will read the chapter 3 of Daniel verses 12 to 23.
1: And so the words of the astrologers as they came to the King Nebuchadnezzar this. There are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, from my hand. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent, and the furnace so hot, that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Amen. Thank
0: you Paul. Thank you very much. Everyone bowed but three men did not do that. They stood up despite of the consequences they could suffer. A real minority in that situation the king so decided to give them a second chance. The king knew them. Despite being angry and furious because he was disobeyed in his order, he offers them the simplest solution, more comfortable for them, following the crowd around them. A second disobedience would lead to their death. This was the same Nebuchadnezzar, who recognized the God of Daniel as the God of the gods, now asks, "Who is the God who can deliver you from my hand?" There was no recognition here. There was no fear here. There was no any recognition that God was the most powerful God. It is worth to remember that the question, the issue, the requirement of the king here was not for this man, these three young men, to abandon their God. They were not asked to do that. No. They could continue with him. They could continue to praise Yahweh. But they should also worship the image of the king and, in consequence, serve his gods. For Babylonians and so many other cultures, it is normal to have several gods. For the society we live in, it is normal as well to have as many gods as you want. The god of Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah did not accept this and still does not accept it. In our days, Yahweh, the great God, the almighty God, is exclusivist. He requires to be unique in the life of those who love and serve him, that call him Lord. The Lord does not share his glory with anyone. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 says that here are Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one. In some other versions we have the Lord our God he is the only Lord This is the basis of the teaching of the Jewish people to their children. It's where the faith and the belief in God, it's built, it's built. Those three men knew well what that meant. They knew the God they served. They had a living relationship of prayer and worship with him. They depended on his will and trusted that will. They knew what he is capable of and had already experienced his love, care, and power in their lives. They trusted in the sovereign God who acts as he pleases for his glory and for our good. The answer that the king receives is also for us today. The definition of a true understanding of what is, what is the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty of God. Of who is God. And of whom we must be before him. In my words, what those guys said to the king in response of that offer that they received for the second time. It was like this. Oh Nebuchadnezzar, you know us. You know us already. Do not bother to play the song again. You don't need to have this work. We will not bow. We will not worship the image. We will not serve your gods. The God we serve is mighty. To deliver us from the furnace and from his hands, from your hands. If he wants, if God wants, if our God desires, he will do it. But if he does not want to, although he can do, we will burn to death. We will burn. We will die, but we will not worship or serve other gods. This statement, this declaration did not make the king happy and also doesn't make the, the society, the world around us, happy as well. The reaction is furious, is aggressive, upset, harsh, disrespectful, and sometimes marginalizing. What are the pressures you experience in your daily life that requires you to bow? To abandon the values and the principles of God, the God you say you serve, you call Lord. Will it be the world that surrounds us with its values increasingly increasingly distant from the values of the Lord? With the oppression of everything that happens around us? Or it will be our own heart in an attempt to balance what we desire and what we really need. Yes, we are fragile. We are weak, we are limited, sometimes stubborn and rebellious. That's why we are so vulnerable to all these pressures around us. It is here, in these moments like this, that this true relationship of prayer, worship and practice is so needed so that we can respond with confidence, in the face of everything that's around us, that the Lord is our strength. What in our lives, in our way of life, in the way we are living, has weakened, weakened our relationship. With the Lord? What is taking the priority place that must be His? What or who do we love more than the Lord Jesus? Can you have some answers for these questions? Can you think about yourself? I know that the passage we read, the story you are sharing, seems extreme to most of us. We may never have been confronted to the point to put our physical lives in risk of death. But many around the world, right now, in this moment, they leave this reality very, very often. However, to us, minor things have led us astray from the true life with the Lord to bow to other gods. The passage of Romans 12, especially verse two, has been cited on previous Saturdays as the Lord's guidance through the Apostle Paul not to conform to this world, not to take the shape, the form of the world. Not to be equal to the world, not to give in to the world, but to be transformed by the values of Christ, in His commandments and His example, to experience in us the good, perfect and pleasant will of God, and nearby and thereby show His love for humanity. When we look to the verse one. Of this same chapter. We can read something very interesting. The verse 1 says to us. Therefore I urge you. Brothers. In view of God's mercy. To offer your bodies. As living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. We are called to give our lives completely to the Lord as a living, holy, and pleasing sacrifice to God, as a continuous worship every second of our lives, in every and each circumstances that surrounds us, in every pressure that we leave, This will show who we are, and especially who the Lord Jesus is in us. We just celebrate, we just had the communion. Experience the memory and the remembrance of who Jesus Christ is and what he did for us. Once again, following Jesus takes on meaning in fulfilling the task that he has entrusted to us, to make disciples of all nations in the power of the Holy Spirit, be his witnesses, even if we are a minority. We need to be creative, creative in living out what he has commanded us to do in a practical way, his way. The story of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, in this chapter 3, ends in a surprising way. As we read, they are thrown into the furnace, rolling everything that they had, that they had of those of that culture. Their robes, their clothes, everything was there. The furnace was heated seven times more than normal. And so, those men were to be burned in a very short time. However, in a wonderful way, the sovereign God, who has the power to save whom he wants and when he wants, delivered his servant, rescued them, saved them from the fire and also from Nebuchadnezzar's hands. The Lord was with them in the midst of the fire. He did not prevent them from going to the furnace. But he was there. He was with them in the furnace, guarding him. It's what we need to learn, that he is with us in these difficult moments of our lives. If we stood up. If we keep believing. If we still call him Lord what was a great problem at that moment was transformed by the sovereignty of the one who has all power into a reason of glory and honor to the eternal God. Daniel, Daniel chapter 3, in our verse 28, tells us, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Nebuchadnezzar words, praising God, Recognizing again who was God able to release, to save their servants, his servants. Not all who have been faced with death because of their faith and commitment to the Lord have been delivered. Many of them died. Not all went through the fire without being consumed as these young guys. Once again, our God, his sovereign, to do that too, to take their lives for his glory, for his honor. However, all of them, in the purpose and perfect plan of the most high God, responded in the same way. If our God, whom we serve, wants to deliver us He will deliver us. If not, find out we will not serve your gods. We will not worship. We will not bow before the image you have raised. Is this your statement today? Is this what you are able to tell to the world around us? May our lives be truly and completely surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. This is my desire. This is what burned in my heart. May we have enough courage to trust the sovereign God who has our existence in his hands, to be faithful witnesses of his love and mercy to those around us. May he, our almighty God, have mercy and bless us with this confidence. Amen. Amen and amen. As part of our interaction for this series, we talked about some special postcards. In the first week, Send a postcard to ourselves, but at the beginning of the pandemic, as a warning and encouragement for the moments to come, just as Jeremiah did with the people in exile. Last week we asked you to send your postcard that could be shared, could be sharing your dream for the kingdom of God. We have some in our newsletter this week. Amazing dreams, beautiful dreams. And this week. Your postcard can tell us a time when the furnace was really hot, really hot, and you were there, but Jesus was with you during those days, and he saved your life from what was considered impossible to be delivered. It will be very encouraged to know about your life. Send an email to postcard at norwichcentral.org, and we will share this here.